This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll look ahead to what to expect next week and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about a state senator's office getting raided, pension problems in various local governments, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Federal agents conducted authorized law enforcement activity Tuesday morning at the Illinois State Capitol, something the political professor says may not splash outside of the state's political bubble unless there's a bigger investigation underway. The FBI in Chicago confirmed it was conducting a search at the Illinois State Capitol, but they had no further comment. Agents were seen exiting the Senate's first floor offices where Democratic State Senator Martin Sandoval's office is located. They were carrying multiple boxes and bags of documents and a computer. NBC Chicago reports law enforcement also entered Sandoval's office in Cicero. Others reported that agents were seen leaving Sandoval's home. Sandoval is the state senator for House Speaker Michael Madigan's home district. It's the latest in a series of raids on the offices of people close to the longtime House Speaker. University of Illinois Chicago State Politics Professor Christopher Mooney said that may not splash much outside of those who follow state politics closely. If those are all connected into some grand, you know, case indictment of several high profile politicals, yeah, then that will then people will pay attention to that. Again, maybe not so much outside the state, but certainly within the state. Mooney said it's speculation at this point if it's connected at all with Madigan. But I have heard people say, oh, they're getting they're trying to get close to Madigan. Uh, but, of course, we've heard that probably from time to time in the media for the last 40 years it hasn't happened. But if that speculation pans out... If this becomes the thing, finally, that uh, ends uh, the Madigan regime, it will be historic. Messages seeking comment from Sandoval and Madigan were not returned. Chicago Tribune reports the feds may be looking at a possible kickback scheme, but no charges have been filed. Another Illinois city is in danger of having its budget crippled for not making required payments into its public retirement funds, possibly putting public safety budgets in question. Cole Lauterbach has that story. East St. Louis has been referred to to the state for allegedly shorting its firefighters' retirement fund by more than $2.2 million in just two years. State law requires the comptroller to withhold all state-collected funding due to the city and send it to the pension fund if the comptroller's office certifies that the required payments aren't made. WirePoint's President Ted Dabrowski has closely been following this law since it went into effect last year. He says getting certified would hobble the city's budget. $2.2, $2.3 million 
of funds taken away from the city will, will have very serious impacts on a on a city that already has huge budget deficits. He says a number of municipalities across the state could face similar situations. Then it becomes a very scary scenario, not just for these kind of cities, but cities across the state. Illinois Comptroller has 60 days to confirm what the pension board is saying and then would start diverting funds. Dabrowski says the city could have trouble paying for its public safety services. You're talking about, uh, you know, more than, more than, uh, 10% of, of their general fund. He says the city would be better off declaring bankruptcy, but state law doesn't allow for that. Until we allow some of these cities to, to, to use bankruptcy to reorganize their debts, uh, is things going to get worse? East St. Louis is the third Illinois city to have its pension board go after its state money due to payment delinquency by the municipality. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Subcommittees of the 88-member Illinois Property Tax Relief Task Force continue to meet to address the state's high property taxes. This week, they've focused on school consolidations, the impact of pensions on property taxes, and more. Tuesday, the Subcommittee on School Consolidation met. Illinois Policy Institute Director of Budget and Tax Research, Adam Schuster, testified. Before the meeting, he said local governments get a lot of money from having the second highest property taxes in the nation. But right now, too much of that money is being siphoned away and wasted on a large, unnecessary, and often duplicative layer of bureaucracy. He's pushing to empower local voters with referenda to consolidate some of the state's more than 850 school districts. But Schuster said that's only part of the reason property taxes in Illinois are higher than nearly every other state. Another major driver is increased local pension costs. Whether you want to look at you know these very real crises popping up around the state or just the data itself showing that's what's, what's causing them to, to rise as rapidly as they have, then pensions are the problem when it comes to property taxes. University of Illinois Institute for Public Finance Director Kenneth Kriz spoke to the Illinois Property Tax Relief Task Force Monday. He said his research of police and fire pension funds outside of Chicago shows that it's bad and only getting worse. The majority of this problem lies in the future. We haven't even began, begun to you know, experience the real pain that's going to be associated with, with paying off this debt. He said there are only three major levers to pull. Increased funding, improved investment returns, or reduced benefits. He said officials in Omaha, Nebraska passed a dining tax to pay for pensions. The city has since gone in a different direction. They did make changes in their benefits uh, to kind of you know, try and avoid having a similar situation develop over time. But again, in Illinois, that's not going to be an option. That is, unless Illinoisans were to approve a constitutional amendment to change the Pension Protection Clause, something not expected to advance the state house. One of Illinois' largest newspapers says the state needs to pass the progressive income tax in 2020 so that the state can start taxing retirement income above a certain level. Cole Lauterbach has more. The Chicago Sun-Times editorial board's Friday piece in support of Governor J.B. Pritzker's fair tax ballot initiative says Pritzker's progressive income tax would set the stage for a far greater tax fairness that, quote, the tax should be expanded to include the highest retirement incomes, end quote. Ryan Grunenfelder with AARP says retirees at all income levels budget carefully and a new tax on retirement would be unfair. That's an underburden on, uh, unfair burden on, on uh, people who are retired who have not, not had the opportunity to plan for that. Ideas Illinois spokesman Jason Hefley says the brackets of a hypothetical progressive retirement tax would inevitably slide lower toward lower income earners over time. It always trickles down. They just keep moving that ceiling lower and lower. 
Grunenfelder with AARP Illinois says any type of retirement income, even one on high earning retirees, will lead to people leaving the state. Will they stay in the state of Illinois? Will they, will they take their income and go somewhere else and stimulate the economy somewhere else? That's, that's something that needs to be about Jason Hefley with Ideas Illinois says Illinois politicians are mistaken if they think voters will tolerate more taxes. Every politician uh, seems to believe nowadays that raising taxes is the only solution. I'm Cole Lauterbach. There's an effort underway to repeal an Illinois tax increase on automobile trade-ins before the tax is set to take effect. In its place would be an increase in the private party transfer tax. The $45 billion multi-year capital plan passed into law this summer came together in the final days of session. There were talks about a real estate tax, increased taxes on alcohol, and even an Uber or ride-sharing surcharge. But those weren't included. Details of the bill didn't surface just until before the bills passed. Larry Dahl with the Illinois Automobile Dealers Association said the tax included an increase in the trade-in tax of over $10,000, and that caught dealers by surprise. There's always a lot of moving pieces. Uh, that, that That's part of the process. But uh, now we're scrambling to try and undo it before it takes effect and, and try and help keep uh, vehicles as affordable for customers as we can. Dahl said if somebody was to buy a $36,000 car and use a $20,000 vehicle trade-in, then they would tax additional 600 to $650. All of that could project to raise $40 million. Uh, we think that might be rosy because I think it's going to slow down traffic more than people realize. Dahl said their proposal would not put a hole in the state's capital spending plan. Under our proposal, we're going to keep this revenue neutral by doing a modest increase in the private party tax. Uh, so if I sell my car to my neighbor, uh, those are already taxed considerably lower than the tax you'd pay at a dealership. And even with the modest increase that we're proposing, it's still a lower rate. Uh, lower tax burden on a private sale, but uh, keeps the legislation revenue neutral, so we're not taking anything away. The announcement of a preliminary trade agreement between the U.S. and Japan is good for Illinois farmers, but there are concerns Congress will be logjammed with impeachment talk. The Japan deal is the latest deal queued up for Illinois farmers to benefit from. There's also the announcement $2.2 billion in Illinois corn and soybeans will be sold to Taiwan over two years, starting in 2020. Illinois Farm Bureau President Richard Giebert said, then there's the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement that's pending in Congress. Uh, this is a good sign that we can move forward and, and get our trade and exports uh, back on, on the road to success. Peoria Republican U.S. Representative Darren LaHood said the U.S.-Japan trade deal inked this week is a win for Illinois and the U.S., but Congress needs to act on it. Congress has yet to act on the USMCA. There's a lot of anxiety and frustration out there in the ag community. Um, uh, We need a win when it comes to trade. Uh, We're suffering under the trade war with China because we're not able to sell our soybeans and products to China, which was a huge market. Lud said impeachment talk has taken up all the oxygen in Washington. And Nancy Pelosi needs to put aside partisan politics. And instead of being worried about giving the president a win, let's worry about giving the American worker a win. And this will help workers. It'll help the economy here. Ebert said he's worried impeachment politics will derail things. Uh, very concerned, you know, that, that things don't get stalled out here with other things. You know, the government keeps on going. Uh, bills still have to be paid. Pelosi said Thursday that they're, quote, hoping to be on a continuing path to yes on the USMCA, but no timeline was given for a vote. 
And the Illinois Department of Agriculture is preparing to perform spot checks as it starts to get reports from Illinois' first-ever hemp growers that they're ready to harvest. Growers could find out if they have to destroy their crops or if they can get it to market. Hemp can be used for oils and fibers. It's the sister plant to marijuana and the cannabis family, but has a much lower concentration of the psychoactive component THC. Federal and state governments approved hemp cultivation for this year, but put limits on the allowable THC levels. It's the first year for industrial hemp in Illinois. Illinois Department of Agriculture Director John Sullivan said one of the challenges for all crops, including hemp, has been the weather. He said one farmer he talked to planted several thousand hemp plants. And then he got a six-inch rain right after he planted it, and he lost about half of them. So uh, it's been a tough year for the hemp growers as well, just because of the weather. Sullivan said the growing season's coming to an end, and it beat their expectations. Uh, I think we ended up with over 22,000 acres that were uh, permitted or approved for, for permitting. So Growers are required to notify the state before they harvest. The state then sends investigators to randomly test for THC content. And if it's above a certain threshold? It's, it's pretty, stra- it's pretty uh, straightforward. It has to be destroyed. No, no exceptions to that. Sullivan said there's no crop insurance if the crop's ordered destroyed because it has higher THC levels than allowed. So right now we're sticking to our knowledge. We've been told and instructed uh, and per our uh, rules, regulations, and statutes, that's, uh, that point three is the number that we're going off of. The U.S. Department of Agriculture explicitly says in its policy that hemp having THC above the compliance level will not constitute an insurable cause of loss. Those are the top stories of the past week from Illinois. For more Illinois stories, visit thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment. It's Illinois in Focus podcast, episode number 53, quite possibly later to be named, season two, episode one, 53rd consecutive week of looking at the issues that impact Illinois and offering a little bit of insight into them. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois. I'm joined once again by guy who never sleeps executive editor dan mccaleb what's happening dan hey we've been doing this for a year amazing where does the time go i don't know i think i don't think we get older i think we just get better looking i can agree with that on to the business at hand hey man we got a few things to talk about you know the news wheels in illinois never never stop um Martine Sandoval, senator from Chicago, got himself into a little bit of trouble earlier this summer uh, with a fundraiser in which he invited, I assume, donors and or just people who support his campaign to pose with a fake AR-15 and pointed at a mannequin with a Donald Trump mask on it has even bigger problems. The FBI came to visit him. So what's going on down there? And 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 give us the inside scoop. 
Well, it's, it's hard to keep track of all the FBI raids on uh, uh, Illinois politicians. But, yeah, this week, uh, uh, Senator uh, Sandoval became the latest in a long line of, um, uh, of elected officials and those close to elected officials who've had their homes, their offices raided by uh, federal agents who are mostly pre- – keeping uh, the lid pretty tight on what they're uh, doing. A source did tell the Chicago Tribune that uh, they were investigating allegations of Sandoval steering business to certain businesses in exchange for private kickbacks. That's just an allegation at this point. Senator Sandoval has not been charged with a crime. But uh, in, in the, just in the past few months, I can think of at least a half a dozen other similar raids. You have to wonder if they're how they're connected, if they are connected, and what sort of a large sweeping investigation uh, the FBI has, and who it's, who's going to be next. Well, the you know the the House districts in Illinois uh, fit into the Senate districts in Illinois. I mean, you know, I know people cover politics or or follow politics, you know, at, at sort of different levels of interest, but. There are more members of the House than there are of the Senate, and House districts fit into Senate districts. And Senator Martin Sandoval's district includes the House district of Mike Madigan. I think I'll just leave it there and ask you to comment on that. Right. Uh, That is correct. Two House districts fit into every one Senate district, and as you said, Madigan's, House Speaker Madigan's uh, district is, is in Sandoval's Senate district. Um, they are close. They are tight. They have been working together for well over a decade. Among those who's had their homes and offices raided that just this year by the FBI, most of them have very close ties uh, to Michael Madigan. So it's hard not to speculate whether or not Madigan is at some point going to be targeted. We don't know. He hasn't. Again, he hasn't been accused of a crime. Need to point that out. But of the raids this year, Springfield lobbyist Mike McLean a former state lawmaker with close ties to Madigan. His his personal home was raided. Former Madigan political operative uh, Kevin Gwynn, who, if you remember, was fired after uh, a whistleblower came forward publicly, accused him of sexual harassment and other uh, types of harassment. He was fired from the Madigan campaign. His home was raided, and it was learned that uh, he was be- being provided with $10,000 checks from some other people close to, to Madigan. Former Chicago Alderman Michael Zalewski, was, his home was raided. Of course, we all know about uh, longtime powerful Alderman Ed Burke and the charges that have been filed by the FBI, the corruption charges that have been filed against him. Uh, he also is a close Madigan ally. So there's a lot of smoke here. Who knows if there's going to be fire? But you, you have to think um, the FBI is, is, is closing in on some others. Dan, switching gears here a little bit, let's talk about what's going on in East St. Louis. Um, interesting um, information with regard to the pension board there, or I should say, I guess it would be an individual pension board within East St. Louis. They've asked the state to redirect city money to the pension fund, and this is the fourth time that a city in Illinois has faced the pension intercept laws simply because it was having difficulty maintaining uh cash flow to its pension obligation uh what's happening there yeah the latest city uh is east st louis a couple years ago uh, the state legislature passed a law that um, would allow local pension boards um, in these communities 
to report to the state controller if um, the, the municipalities are not diverting uh, enough funds to cover um, a certain percentage of, of the annual pension costs. East St. Louis became the fourth municipality who was reported to the comptroller's office, and then the, the comptroller's office is now obligated to divert certain state money that is returned to municipalities, not to the municipalities themselves, but to the pension boards. Harvey was the first one, um, happened uh, last year, late last year, and as a result, the city of Harvey had to, uh, had to lay off dozens of police officers and firefighters, and who knows what East, East St. Louis is going to have to do uh, now, but this is a growing problem. This is not going to stop at four. Uh, the pension costs are out of control. Something else needs to be done, or these cities are going to be decimated. To put some numbers uh, to what you just offered, Dan, I just, I just have this little factoid that the, the pension fund in question for East St. Louis had 11% of the amount of money uh, that it needed for future costs per an audit. And audits are usually done, you know, I mean, for the benefit of people who don't have to think about things like that. They're done in arrears. So this is this is an audit that would take information through January of 2018. Um, this pension intercept law has been around since 2011. Um, as you said, there's only a handful of cities that have really been in, in this level of risk. And they offer a fairly broad level of tolerance for uh, cities that fall behind, but you know when you only have 11 percent of a of a full bill amount available, you've got a serious problem there. And and um, and I'm not sure how East St. Louis gets out of this. And again, with pension issues around the state of Illinois continue to to, to mount. Um, we did a we did a piece last week about the new Moody's report and the estimation of state-focused pension liabilities at 240-plus billion dollars. It's insane. If I'm an East St. Louis, if I'm a retired East St. Louis police officer or firefighter or municipal worker, or even a soon-to-be retiree, or even a, even if I'm 10 years away from, being, uh, from retiring, I'd be scared to death right now that that money's not going to be available to me. Uh, that's how bad the situation is, yet state lawmakers refuse refuse to address pension reform. Pension issues, Dan, in, in East St. Louis, I mean, we just discussed that. I mean, uh, of course, there, there are pension issues all around the state. And, and Illinois, you know, which has the highest property taxes in the country, has put together a, a subcommittee that includes 88 members, and they're calling themselves the Illinois Property Tax Release Relief Task Force. They continue to meet, but it's property taxes that feed back to local pensions, is it not? A vast majority of the police and fire and municipal pension funds are funded through um, property tax dollars, local property tax dollars. Um, and I know my my city, um, I live in the northwest suburbs, uh, about six, seven years ago, uh, did a massive property tax increase, and all of that new revenue went straight uh, to police and fire pensions. When you start to see university professors and people from the academic space identifying this as a problem, that 
to me suggests that it's undeniable. So there was a gentleman, Kenneth Chris, who, who, who spoke to this subcommittee. What did he have to say? As bad as it is now, um, you know, we just talked about the four, the four cities that are having um, state dollars diverted straight to uh, that, that, that they were counting on for operations going straight to pension funds. Uh, he essentially said as bad as it's now, it is now, it's going to get much, much worse. As we said, there's, there's four cities who are having state funds diverted to their pension funds. That's going to grow probably astronomically in the next couple of years. And uh, you know, Chris, he had uh, offered up some suggestions on how to close the gap, and, and, and none of these sound all that compelling. They certainly don't sound all that palatable, but he's talking about, you know, putting in you know, additional layers of tax um, at different levels of government to bridge the gap. He, he referenced a, a dining tax that Omaha, Nebraska had done to do such a thing. I mean, where does it, where, where does it end? There's essentially, there's three options, only one of which will uh, bring about meaningful reform. Raise taxes and continue to raise taxes and continue to raise taxes to where you tax people out of their homes, which is already happening. You cut services, um, which Harvey had to do, you know, eliminating dozens of uh, safety jobs, police officers and firefighters, and continue to cut those services, or you reform the pensions. You get rid of the 3% automatic cost of living increase every year and tie it to inflation. That's the only real thing that's going to work, but again, state lawmakers uh, refuse to address it. So elsewhere in Illinois government or Illinois activity or inactivity, however you like to characterize it. It's a story about the vaping industry coming under fire here in the state of Illinois. Attorney General Kwame Raoul is in favor of a flavored e-cigarette ban. This is actually something that President Trump had talked about. There was speculation inside the Beltway that perhaps Melania had found young Baron Trump with a jewel or some such e-cigarette <laughs> device. I don't know if that's the case. I, I hope that that's just some wild hair rumor. But there really seems to be a push in light of what's happened with this completely separate issue with vaping where these, these, these you know, the, these uh, bogus black market cannabis Vaping cartridges are making people sick all over the upper Midwest and, the, and down into the into the southeast. But there seems to be some sort of a catalytic effect occurring here in which flavored e-cigarette cartridges are under attack. Where are we with this in Illinois? What's, uh, what's uh, Kwame Rule have to say about that? Kwame Raul, and not just uh, uh, the Attorney General, but uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker himself have come out and said that these flavored e-cigarettes are dangerous and uh, they're marketed towards children, uh, teenagers, etc., and want to ban them uh, statewide. I think that this is an overreaction to what, as you said, what you call these black market, market uh, e-cigarettes um, that aren't being sold by legitimate retailers aren't necessarily going uh, through regulatory checks and whatnot, but instead are sold on the street 
might have been uh, some additives uh, added to them, but has led to uh, sick, uh, sick kids. So they want to essentially ban any e-cigarette that has a flavoring to it. Again, it's an overreaction to these other stories. E-cigarettes have helped plenty of smokers quit uh, the far more dangerous, far more unhealthy active action of smoking regular cigarettes, tobacco products. People are just going to go back to smoking tobacco cigarettes uh, if you ban e-cigarettes, flavor e-cigarettes. And that's genuinely my concern with this. And this is one of those situations where you solve a problem but and you create another one. And I, I think... You know, I, I, I get it, you know, and I, and I hear about it, you know, in, in my local community and I, I hear about it from teachers and in particular, they're like, you know, they turn their back at the chalkboard and somebody in a sweatshirt with a hoodie on is blowing vape clouds in the back of their room and they don't know who it is because the vapor's gone by the time that they uh, turn completely around or certainly isn't centered over the person who had authored said vape cloud. But I think you're spot on. I think if you, you know, it's, I think in, in a lot of ways it would be a step backward. And, you know, people are going to use tobacco products. Um, should minors have them? Absolutely not. At the end of the day, you know, parents need to parent. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah government, re- need, government needs to regulate some things. Um, but you, there's, you just, they go too far sometimes. Um, this just seems like a, a reach that, that that's not unnecessary. I think it's going to have a net negative effect. And that's, and that's my concern. I mean, this is one of those things that sounds good, but laws that are made in a vacuum don't stay in the vacuum. They don't keep the issue in the vacuum. So kids, you know, here's what we're going to see. And this is something that we frankly, that we don't see anymore. You ride around or, or, you know, around the t- your town, you don't see kids smoking cigarettes anymore. You just don't. Walking around in the park, you know, going out to a ball field, you know, going to the movies. I mean, my goodness, you know, four or five years ago, you'd see kids lined up down the side of movie theaters stealing, stealing smokes. You'd see kids lighting up cigarettes as soon as they stepped across uh, the school property at the high school. You don't see that anymore, but you're going to see it again because if you like nicotine, you're going to get nicotine. And and not to make this simply just a, a you know an issue related to, to to children because I think you I think you absolutely nailed that. Parents have to parent. I don't need the government to parent me. Yeah, I'll leave, leave it right there. I have two. Two teenagers, I, I certainly wouldn't want them uh, to pick up e-cigarette smoking. But if if it were one or the other, there's not even it's not even close. No question, um, e-cigarettes would be preferable to tobacco cigarettes. Dan, I have to tell you, it's always a pleasure as we start the, the second year of the Illinois in Focus crosstalk segment and bring this one to a close. Thanks for joining me today. And thanks for all that you do for the center square in Illinois and for the center square across the country. Well, happy anniversary. I appreciate that. What'd you get me? Something nice. I hope it's in the mail. Or did you miss our anniversary? God, you know, it's well, for Dan McCaleb, 
This has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to Illinois in Focus Crosstalk, powered by the Center Square here in Illinois. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at news you can use next week. Next week, Illinois state lawmakers inch closer to fall veto session as the list of topics to tackle before the end of the year stack up. While there aren't any committee hearings scheduled next week, lawmakers are expected to continue to discuss how to tighten up the state's looming adult-use cannabis law, firearm legislation including a mandate that gun owners provide fingerprints, a proposed repeal of the automobile trade-in tax, energy policy, and much more. They'll also be closer to issuing the first report from the Property Tax Relief Task Force. We'll bring you all of the latest with thecentersquare.com. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more Illinois stories and commentary online at thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.